pray that as we come to your word this morning, we come to you, Lord, as we draw our attention to your faithfulness. Lord, as we consider the words of Ruth, as we rest in this moment in your calling out to us from your word, shaping our lives, Lord, that you would allow us to anticipate your redeeming work in our lives, to be confident of your loving kindness. Lord, I pray you tune our ears and our hearts to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, while you're sitting down, take out your Bibles and turn to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. Uh, while you're turning there in the early service, uh, I was standing beside Hope Spice, and she said, it's Compassion Sunday and it's my dad's birthday. And so would you help me wish Tim Spice a happy birthday today? One of our elders serves our church so well, and he's been running around here kind of all morning, and he'll be up here later in the service um, sharing in the Lord's Supper with us. But hopefully you got your Bibles open to Ruth chapter 2 as we continue in our series, The Roots of Redemption, and uh, we want to read this text. It's uh, an entire chapter we're going to read together, so let's grab our Bibles, pay close attention, and listen to what God has to say to us this morning. Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land, and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over when she rose to glean Boaz instructed his young men saying 
Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles of her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Well, this is a memorable meeting. This is the part of the romantic comedy that is referred to as the meet-cute. Now, last week I said this is a romantic comedy and none of you believed me. You thought I was just joking or doing something cute. But if you, uh, now you've probably never heard of this term, meet cute, but it's a part of every romantic comedy. And the reason you haven't heard of the term is because you're not a screenplay writer. But screenplay writers write these moments into all kinds of stories, the one that you've seen here. Let me tell you what it is. A meet-cute is that part of a romantic comedy or story where the audience, who knows who the main characters are, gets to see them meet for the first time. And, and you know, they're meeting unaware of the significance, right, of, of what's just happened and, and how much lies ahead and what's going to happen. And, but as the audience, we know that this is the beginning of something that is sort of full of hope and possibility, and, and all that. And so it's written into all sorts of movies such that it even has a name. Here's an example. In the movie The Wedding Planner, anybody want to admit that they've seen it? I got a couple of, we got a couple of hands going up. The Wedding Planner, Samson, thank you. Matthew McConaughey's character meets Jennifer Lopez's character when she's trying to get her high heel out of the storm drain cover in the middle of the street, right? She's wearing these pumps and this high heel gets stuck in the storm drain and it's there and she's like trying to get it out and she's unaware that behind her coming down the hill is a dumpster rolling on wheels. It's like a runaway dumpster that's coming for her and in a minute McConaughey's character runs and he tackles her out of the way of the dumpster and when she sort of realizes all that's going on, she you know, looks up and there she is in the arms of this handsome doctor who has just saved her life. I mean, isn't that precious? <laughs> and because it's a rom-com, we know this is important. This is the meeting. Of course, to them, it's, who knows, nothing. We know that this seemingly chance meeting holds incredible promise. If you're a romantic at heart, you could probably write your own, right? You could write, you could write lots of these stories. And maybe even in your mind, uh, I was thinking of them last night and we were, we were joking about them. But you could write your own. Annie and I, we met in front of the old post office at Liberty University when we were introduced to one another by a mutual friend on the first day 
of the spring semester. The semester was new. We were going to be seeing each other regularly as members of a traveling ministry team. There would be lots of obstacles ahead and lots of barriers in the way for us getting together. But that was the beginning of our story. We didn't know it, but if you were watching the romantic comedy of our life, which has been a comedy in many moments, it would start there, right? And it would seem just like a happenstance meeting, an introduction. But it was a meeting and an introduction that held amazing promise. Amazing promise in our life. Well, in chapter 2 of Ruth, this is what we have. We get introduced to Boaz as Ruth and Boaz meet for the first time. And it's kind of, you know, it's easy to miss how important it is because we know the rest of the story. Like if you've been paying attention to the Bible and, and, or you read ahead or you're not totally new to the story, you kind of know things are going to go well. It's a romantic comedy after all. I told you it's going to end well. And, and so, but we can miss the significance that they don't know that and this is how they meet. And they don't know what's going on, and it's, and, and, but we get to see them meet in the way the writer writes it for us, is to see it as full of possibility, full of hope, full of provision. We're told to anticipate the significance of the scene from the very first words of the chapter. Look at verse 1. It says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This is how we meet him, but, but we get this information about him. He's, he's a part of the extended family of, of Ruth and Naomi's dead husbands. Now that's important customarily because they have a role that they have the opportunity to play as redeemers, as people who bring restoration to the family uh, in this life. And we are told that he's sort of in that category. So we're introduced to it that way. So it kind of sets up the main point of what we're supposed to look at as we go forward. We're supposed to see this incredible possibility. And the the main idea I want you to be looking at is that here, actually, the way the whole story is set up is for us to see that God's loving kindness provides faith-filled Ruth with a compassionate Redeemer. We're to anticipate that from the very beginning as we get introduced to Boaz. We're to think, God is doing something here. This is, this is not just a random person that she's about to meet. This is a provided person by God. And God is doing something to show his loving kindness on Ruth. And so God's loving kindness provides in this chapter faith-filled Ruth with a compassionate redeemer. If you continue to look through the language that is used in places like verse 3. Look, it says, she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. Now we're to understand from that that the fields in those days, you know, they were large and divided up by different landowners. And as she went out, literally the word where it says she happened to come, it means by chance she chanced upon. It's like kind of really like trying to do what we do sometimes in language. And it just so happened, you know, it just so happened that we ended up being here at the same time as this person. Can you believe Can you believe the circumstances? Well, we're supposed to not think this is chance, right? We're supposed to hear this far, long shot that she ends up in his field as the work of God. God is in his loving kindness. He's brought her there. And and so, so through the language, we're invited to see this isn't a chance meeting, but the provision of God bringing bringing the two of them together. By the end of the chapter, that seems pretty obvious. Uh, and we recognize with even Naomi, who is bitter, really, at this point, that uh, she begins to realize God had gone before Ruth's faith and prepared a compassionate redeemer. 
Listen to Naomi's change in tone in verse 21. If you were with us last week, and even if you weren't, the end of chapter, at the end of chapter 1, Naomi's still calling herself bitter, right? God's hand has been against me. She can't yet see God's provision. But, but here at the end, as she hears what happened to Ruth, when Ruth tells her that it was Boaz's field that she was in and was blessed, Naomi gives this response in verse 20. Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, May he, that's Boaz, be blessed by the Lord. The Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. This is hope rising up in Naomi. She sees in this whole scene, in this whole meeting, hope, right? She begins to hear God's kindness. Now, the meeting of Ruth and Boaz in this scene is to be understood as an act of God's kindness. But that word kindness feels kind of thin and empty to me. I mean, it's, it's, it's a word that like we use as kindness. I mean, it's nice. We want people to be kind. But it doesn't have the kind of depth, really, I think we're supposed to hear it with as she talks about the Lord's kindness. That word there, kindness, is the Hebrew word hesed. Or if we really get into it, it's chesed. You've got you to go deep because this is a word that has depth. It's, 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 actually, it's actually a word that is most often used of God's enduring and gracious love. Naomi sees that God's chesed has come to rest on them. That God in his chesed is doing that. Well, what does the word chesed mean? It, it, in one sense, it, it definitely means that the sense of God's kindness. It's active. There's things that God is doing to show his work and provision in our life. And so it's this, this word that means sort of active kindness. But it also has this deep meaning of love. That, it, that, that, that kindness is born out of a deep, all the way down to the core of who we are, emotional connection. Like emotional involvement in displaying that kind of love. And so, so really what we have here in Hesed is a word that sometimes is translated in your Bibles as kindness. Sometimes it is translated in your Bible as love. But the best way actually to translate it, I think, and anytime I read it in the Old Testament, I just hyphenate it. Loving kindness. Loving kindness. Kindness. The activity of kindness that's born out of a deep, deep love. So Naomi sees... And what has happened in this scene, in this meeting, the deep kindness, the hesed, the loving kindness of God. And that's what we are to see. That description in verse 20 points us to what we should see in this chapter as we look more closely. That God's loving kindness provides faith-filled Ruth with a compassionate Redeemer. This is God at work. That is great, but that's just a story for Ruth, right? This isn't just a story about Ruth. It's a story through Ruth about God's loving kindness for those who come to take refuge for him. It's a story through Ruth for us. For us to be able to understand the heart of God. that What it looks like for us to come and seek refuge in him. You know, in, in that moment where we return from the far country and we've seen our sin and we repent and we come and lay ourselves on the mercy of God, what kind of God is there waiting for us? Well, the book of Ruth wants us to see that the God of loving kindness is there. One whose kindness goes beyond what we deserve. And, and, and so we, we get this picture of loving kindness in the story of Ruth for us. So that we can discover who do we encounter when we rest under the wings of God. What is he like? 
in the dominant image, Ruth is about giving us the dominant image we are to see when we come to God. And the answer is, the God of loving kindness is who we see. We see the God of loving kindness who provides faith-filled people with a compassionate redeemer. This is what he does. So with that in mind, let's first take a look at Ruth's faith, okay? So I think practically we can learn some things then about how this loving kindness is displayed. And it teaches us something really powerful. We see in Ruth an amazing example of faith, of what genuine faith looks like. So let's learn faith from Ruth. Um, just number one, we see that we are, to, we are called, if we trust in God's loving kindness, we're called to act in faith like Ruth. Sincere, genuine faith acts in faith like Ruth. Let's tie it together. When you understand God's loving kindness, when you understand his heart, you begin to act in faith, anticipating that that's the kind of God you'll see when you step out. This is what we see going on with Ruth. Genuine faith in God produces the sort of activity in our lives that is consistent with faith. Faith in God. You see, faith is never left without an object. God is the object. The, the God of loving kindness is the object in whom we rest our faith. And it creates a sense of expectation and it causes us then to rest our actions in that God. So from Ruth, we learn about this sort of active life of faith through her example. And there's a few things I noticed about it. So if we're going to act in faith like Ruth, what do we need to understand? Well, we see that faith acts as though God is a provider. Faith acts as though God is a provider. We see this expressed by Ruth in verse 2. She says at the beginning, let me go to the field, verse 2, and glean among the ears of grain after him or after the one in whose sight I shall find favor. She's not talking about a specific person here. She's saying to Naomi, well, based on what we're seeing, you know, we've come home and we've put our hope in the God of Israel. And based on that, I'm going to go out into the field and see if we find favor with God out there. <laughs> I'm going to begin to take this step of faith. I, you know, and Ruth isn't guaranteed any success for the day. But what we see is she says, let's go out there and I'm going to find a field where maybe somebody will show kindness to us. Where maybe we'll experience favor. Something we're not expecting. That sounds like a mouthful, you know how she says it in verse 2, but maybe you could put it this way. I'm going to go out and work as a gleaner, following those who are reaping in the harvest in hopes that there's a person out there that God might use to provide more than that. This is what faith looks like. Faith says, God is out there. God is out there where the first steps of faith, the, the small steps of faith take place. And I expect to encounter him there. I expect to discover him there because he's the God of loving kindness. And so, and so she steps out and she acts as though God is a provider. You know, it reminds me, we have a phrase that we often have communicated to church planters about what it looks like to begin to really act in faith. We say, you know, in, in the work that we're doing, we have to row the boat until the wind blows. You see, we believe there's a day where God's wind is going to blow through our work. But it often begins with, with small steps of activity. It look a lot more like rowing the boat, believing that God is going to join his provision with our meager steps of faith. As we seek to plant new churches, like sending a group out to Pillar Stafford, there are gonna, there's work that goes into it. But if it only ever becomes what our effort can produce, it will be a failure and it will accomplish no spiritual work. 
You see, the real work that God does in a church is spirit-born work that only he can provide. But he does it in conjunction with people who act in faith knowing that he's out there to provide for it. So we row the boat. In your life, there are things that God would call you to do. There are things ahead of you in obedience to God that, that first you begin rowing. And then you do it, though, trusting that the providing God will meet you. She doesn't know it yet, Ruth. But as she was going, she just so happened to end up in the part of the field that belongs to Boaz. That's verse 3. I want you to see something here. Her acting in faith positioned her in the place where God's provision is discovered. See, that's what faith does. Faith positions us to meet the provider. You know, so many times we say, I don't see God at work in my life. I don't see, I don't ever meet the provider when I'm out in the field. But, but, but really what happens is God says, well, you take the step out of faith and discover that I'm already way out there ahead of you. I'm not where you're at right now. I want you to come out here and meet me. I'm inviting you to leave where you're at and take steps to where I've already gone before you to provide what is needed for your future. And so faith positions us to meet the provider in the field. And so her acting positions her, and, and, and we are introduced more to Boaz. It's not just that she ends up in the field of a relative. We discover some things about this Boaz. In verse 4, it may seem like a customary greeting, but in this short story, the writer doesn't have a lot of space, and he doesn't waste words. So he wants the first thing we hear on the lips of Boaz to be this. The Lord, that's Jehovah, it's in all caps in your Bible, if you look at your translation, Hebrew, that's Yahweh, the personal name of God, the God of Hesed, of loving kindness, the God who keeps his covenant promises to deliver his people, the Lord be with you. Boaz is the kind of person who shows up with his workers and his desires that through their work they would experience the presence of God. The Lord be with you. I mean, if you think about that in the context of the book, in the, in the period of the judges, when things are dark, she ends up on the land of a significant relative who trusts in God. It just so happened. You see, faith acts as though God is a provider. That's the first thing we see. But the second thing I think we can learn from, from her faith is that faith awaits God's provision. It awaits God's provision. Let's little, learn a little bit more about Ruth's faith. Others have been able to see it in her life, in the passage. They begin to testify. She's not just sitting, waiting for God to direct. You know, some people say, I'm just going to live by faith, right? And they go entire passage. So I'm only going to do what God tells me to do. Well, he's given us minds and hearts to seek after what's good, to align ourselves to his word. We can, there's lots of things we can begin to go do in serving the Lord and acting in faith. Those things position us to experience God in a more significant way. And if you want to know God, you're going to have to first take steps to act in faith. Faith awaits God's provision, though. She's not just sitting waiting for God to direct. She's acting as though God provides. And she exhibits patience and hard work as she does. The two, these two things, patience and hard work and faith, notice they're not at odds. They're deeply linked, faith and work. While she cannot yet see God's fuller provision, she's busy responding to the small pieces of it. 
You know, you know, what's interesting here is she's out in the field reaping the leftovers after it's been swept over twice. And she's out there. This is what you need to see. These are small pieces. In faith, she is going to gather the small pieces of God's provision. God is providing. In fact, here we see, though, that, that it's not the harvesters. She's not one of the harvesters taking it home. They're, people would go through and harvest. But the leftovers, people would come behind and reap from those. And she is gathering that. God had instructed, actually, through the law, that landowners were not to just sweep the field clean in the harvest. There was an instruction. It was a way in which God was caring for the poor, caring for the vulnerable. They were to go through the first time, gather up the harvest, but there was a lot left behind. And those in the community who were immigrants, who were uh, new, who were destitute and vulnerable and in need they were able to come and gather behind they were to leave it that way and it says actually here those have gone through and she's behind the reapers (laughs) so her acting in faith looks like going and gathering the smallest fragments that remain while she waits on God to provide more I want you to notice Ruth does not take the small provision of God for granted but in faith devotes herself to gathering it up In verse 6, Boaz's servants begin to describe the new girl that has caught Boaz's eye. And he says this about her. Look at verse 6. How is she showing faith? It says, the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, This is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came. And she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. This is a good example of what Jesus would describe later as being faithful in a little until God entrusts us with more. But what we see here is Ruth is faithful waiting for God's provision. And maybe you're here today and you said, you know, I tried trusting the Lord. I took a step out and I did what was right. And, you know, I didn't see his hand. His hand wasn't out there. He didn't meet me in the provision right away. And and right here in this passage, it shows us something about what real faith looks like. Faith awaits God's provision as it receives the small ways in which God provides. Oh, there would be more beyond this. But we see Ruth not demanding, expecting anything except for what she has opportunity to gather. Now, before we move on, there's one more thing I want you to see about her faith. Through Ruth, we see that faith acknowledges God's provision. Faith acknowledges God's provision. Here we can learn one more thing from Ruth's faith. What does a person of faith sound like, look like, respond like when they experience abundant provision? Now, one of the ways you can know whether your faith is resting in God's provision or you are pridefully confident in your own works, is how you respond when God shows up big in your life. And you experience God's abundance. I want you to see here how she responds. You know, once this happens, after verse 7, down through beginning in verse 8, she's told by Boaz that she can stay in his field and it'll be safe. She's given plenty of food for the day. More advantages beyond that as the chapter unfolds. And in both instances where she speaks of what is going on, she uses the same word. She uses the same word to describe it. It's the word favor. Favor. The Old Testament word for grace. It means being delivered an undeserved blessing. Favor. Grace. 
she, this is the word that she uses. In fact, she uses it in contrast and almost in response to Boaz's celebration of her. Boaz says, the Lord repay you for your kindness. But Ruth says, no, it's favor from God. God is doing me a favor. He's doing something that he doesn't owe me. He's giving me something that doesn't belong to me. It's God's grace that I'm experiencing, not my reward. I don't want my reward. I want God's favor. She went out. You know, actually, we discover then, if you look at this word favor in this second chapter, it happens three times. We realize in verse 2, she went out looking for favor, didn't she? She didn't just go out looking for repayment or reward. It says I'm looking for favor, verse 2. Then when she hears these words from Boaz, she says that she's found favor in verse 10. She describes his kindness then at the end of the day in verse 13 as favor. Favor is the Old Testament word for grace. Boaz talks about repaying, Ruth talks about grace. The Lord isn't repaying her, he is showing her unearned kindness. It's God's loving kindness. She's careful to acknowledge God's provision for what it is. It's not something that he owes her. It's his abundant, loving kindness. That's what she's hoping in. So here's why Ruth, being an outsider, has power in this story. Here's why she's mentioned as the Moabite. Because it points us to the abundant, loving kindness of God. An Israelite might have been tempted to to consider this part of the blessing of the law. Well, God commanded, this is how it's supposed to be. I went up and I gathered it, and you know what? This guy should take care of me. They might have considered it the blessing of the law. I do what is good and God blesses me, but Ruth knows that she has no claim on God. In this story, Ruth is the outsider from Moab who isn't yet in the covenant of God, but yet his covenant goodness is overflowing to this woman from among the nations. That means God's saving work, his loving kindness is being poured out not just on a select group of people, but but this Moabite woman who, for all intents and purposes, might have been considered an outsider. God's loving kindness belongs to her. Ruth knows it's grace. She doesn't have a demand. She doesn't have power. She can't guarantee it for herself. Only by God's kindness is she now brought in to this fullness and abundance. That's what she understands. And faith acknowledges God's grace. Just real briefly, this is what it means to be a Christian, by the way. Not to be confident in our works or trust in them. But to say, as it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace I have been saved through faith. It's been God's kindness and favor that I simply trusted in. He provided his son. I have no way of boasting. I I dare not boast in my own decisions, my own wisdom. It's not of works. I don't boast. It's grace. If, you're, if you want to know how you get in on a relationship with God today, it's, it's this way. You, you realize that you forfeited your life through sin. You forfeited God's blessing, his loving kindness. But in God's rich, deep mercy, though you were outside a relationship with him, the Bible says that We were enemies with him because we have rejected God's ways. We've rejected a relationship with God. We've lived on our own. But God in his loving kindness has put forth Jesus as a redeemer for us to be trusted in by faith. And when you trust him by faith, you come to celebrate his grace. Every moment becomes an opportunity to see the goodness of God. 
So this is, this is Ruth's faith. Ruth's faith teaches us what it looks like to, for genuine faith to be just powerfully on display and at work in our life. And the second thing I want you to see now as we shift and think about Boaz for a moment, I think the second thing that we're to learn through this passage is we're to anticipate the fullness of the Redeemer. This lesson in faith is important, but it only matters because we have a greater celebration that we can see through the text. We can begin to anticipate the faithfulness of the Redeemer. Boaz is set up in this passage as a compassionate Redeemer. And he becomes like a promise of God's hope to people. I don't have a lot of time to tell you about Boaz today, but if I did, I would want you to see that God sent Ruth a capable redeemer. In Boaz, she finds that she has a capable redeemer. As we anticipate the faithfulness of the redeemer, let's just think for a few moments rather quickly. In the customs of the time, near relatives that were unmarried can marry a widow and redeem the land for the family. Through them... They would keep the name and the inheritance and the provision and the flourishing of that line alive and ensure the blessing of that family in a situation that looked hopeless. This is what this term redeemer is. There were customary rules and expectations about about how that all worked. But let's not get caught on the details of how they exercised it, but but see that in that provision, God is sending someone who is qualified and capable to be that. Boaz is a capable redeemer. He's understood inside this custom that the Hebrews had a word for. That word was goel, or redeemer. In verse 20, Naomi tells Ruth, Of the significance of who Boaz is. Notice, throughout the entire day, Ruth doesn't know who he is yet. She's met him, she knows his name, but she doesn't know who he is in relation to them. And she discovers through Naomi that he's a goel. He's one of these potential, capable, eligible redeemers for their family. And she begins to celebrate. Of course, if we were reading closely, we knew that before Ruth even discovers this, we knew it from verse (laughs) 1. That's what's foreshadowed in verse 1. Hinted at. But there's even better news. There's even better news. He's not just eligible. He's not just able to provide. He's described as wealthy. He's not just a capable redeemer. That would be good news alone. But in the chapter, we also see that he's a concerned redeemer. He's a concerned redeemer. He's not just capable. Look what it says. Boaz fulfills the spirit of the law. If we think about all that he does, he takes concern for this woman. I mean, it's one thing to have someone who could fulfill and care and provide and redeem. But he is concerned about her. He's concerned, and particularly he's concerned that in the dark time of the judges, when everyone is doing right in their own eyes, that Ruth would be kept safe. That she could glean in the fields and gather what she needs to care for her mother-in-law. He tells her, actually, not to go looking anywhere else because he wants her to find a place where she is sheltered from the threats of the world around her. In his field, she will find safety because he isn't just letting people do as they wish. But since I don't have a lot of time today, will you please listen to me for just a moment? Because beyond being capable and beyond being a concerned redeemer for his, her safety and concerned to keep the law, which he is. That's why she can glean there. Beyond all that, She's found in Boaz that he's a compassionate redeemer. Listen, 
Boaz is not there. This is, this is the power of this story. Boaz is not there just to keep the law. <laughs> Verses 14 through 16 put on a display of love for Ruth. The beginning of a compassionate love that goes beyond the law. Here's what I think God wants us to hear from this passage. He wants us to hear that God's genuine love goes beyond where the law fails. If the law can't deliver up blessing because of the weakness of our flesh, the loving kindness of God can deliver blessing to those who repent and trust in my faith. God's love goes beyond the law to bring redemption to his people. Let me make it personal. God's love for you goes beyond your performance to prepare for your life to be redeemed in Christ. <laughs> for you to know Him. For you to be brought into His family. To know the personal... You know, God is not just emotionally detached from His work in our life. <laughs> I think this is so important. It's very easy. If you're very theological, you might have an intellectual faith that says God's got to do this and He set it up this way and if I say this and I pray this thing and it's all that... Listen, the reveals clearly that God is much deeper than that. That his love for us is a redeeming love. What we're to see in this passage isn't just that Boaz has a compassionate, redeeming kind of love for Ruth, but that is picturing the passionate, redeeming love of God that is available to people who don't deserve it, but can have it because of his favor. He's a compassionate redeemer. It's better than being capable, better than being concerned. Her faith, Ruth's faith has found a redeemer. A redeemer, he, listen, think about this. He says to her at the meal, at meal time, come sit at my table. Now that doesn't sound like much, I guess, maybe to you. Got an abundant table. Think about who this is. Ruth has been through, what, 10 years of difficulty. She's come back to Israel with little hope her mother-in-law didn't even want her to come back with her because she thought what's the chances that you're going to have much of a life at all and here she is on the first day of middle school and the most important guy in the room says come sit at my table right maybe it's been a while since you've been in middle school know that moment but but we see this isn't law keeping this is love this is the abundant loving kindness of god Come on, sit, sit here at my table. Actually, here, here's my bread and cup. Take, take my bread. Dip it into my wine. Eat it. Hey, somebody, somebody pass the grain to Ruth. This is what's happening in verse 14 through 16. This girl, like, just think of the shock in her mind. I can't believe it, right? She eats and she's satisfied. We don't know the last time this young woman ate and was satisfied. In fact, she eats it satisfied and there's an abundance left over and she takes it home. She can, she can deliver it to Naomi and she, she, she's there and he says and he looks at her and he says, you know what? Listen, you just stay right here and keep gleaning. In fact, guys, make sure when you're going through, take some of, the, some of my wheat, some of the wheat out of my storehouse and the things you're gathering for me and, and don't just let her get the reapings. Take some of those sheaves and give it to her and don't rebuke her and tell her to stop. Give her the fullness of it. She can have what belongs to me. She must have been amazed. I got to think a Moabite woman who's just finding about, finding out about Israel's God and his provision. 
has just discovered the most important thing she could know. As she looks to Boaz, this redeemer, we're invited to look through Boaz and anticipate the redeeming love of God. We're to see God here as this is going on. Anticipate the redeemer that is to come through Ruth and Boaz and the one who says to us, outsiders to God's people because of our sin, come and rest around my table. Do you hear that? Does that mean something to you? Do you feel the privilege of being invited into God's family? You see, you're not going to feel the privilege until you see yourself as utterly lost like, Naomi, like Ruth and Naomi were. Utterly hopeless. No ability to promise. What, what ability do we have to promise and guarantee our future? You might be skeptical here. If there is an eternity, what ability do you have to control what God does about it? And yet, here's what you can know about him. <laughs> he says, come on, by faith, trust me. And my loving kindness will be your hope. I mean, this is, this is amazing. Have you, you need to know today that God, in his loving kindness, has provided a redeemer for you. For you. Maybe you never had a relationship with God. Maybe you've never even really thought about what it means to be significantly following Jesus. But, but this is the invitation. It's not an, listen, it's not an invitation to, to a life of slavery and just work in the field. It's, it's an invitation to come around his table. That's what God invites us to. That's the God that awaits us when we repent of our sin and entrust ourselves to him. Satan would love to steal, kill, and destroy and tell you that you should go find your own field, that you shouldn't trust in that God, you should not put yourself at his mercy, but this is the God that you discover when you look up. And you see the real and living God in the face of Jesus. Because Boaz might have given up his grain for Ruth, which is admirable, but Jesus, in order that you could be gathered into the fullness of God's life and gathered into his family and, and given promise and security and hope for the future for all eternity, gave up his very body and blood on the cross. What was broken bread symbolically and wine given for Boaz is a real broken body in Jesus and real blood poured out for you. God's love for you is that personal. We're not to miss it. Yes, God loves the world. Yes, God loves his people. <laughs> but God loves you. That's what we see here in Ruth. It's, his redeeming love is available for you. And today, if you will just believe him and trust him, step out into your future in faith, believing in Christ, you can know the loving kindness and goodness of God that will never forsake you. It's a powerful picture. Well, there's a bit of practical wisdom, I think, that we can also take aside today. One of the things I love about this passage is that God uses practical acts of faithfulness to provide for others out of his abundance. You know, Nothing dramatic that happens. Just giving food and working in the field. And it's two people from an out-of-the-way place. I mean, it's, it's Bethlehem. That sounds amazing to you, but it's nowheresville. So you got this poor girl and a landowner who seemingly is old and doesn't have a spouse. And 
you know, you got a field and just regular people out doing their thing. But God looked upon their situation individually. And God is using that to show his love for us and for all people. And he uses acts of small faith in Ruth and faithful keeping of the law through Boaz to set up this situation where his redeeming love flows beyond their expectations. And today, you know, we have this opportunity on Compassion Sunday to go beyond obligation. One of the things I love about this passage, if you were to just think about it, is it teaches us that love looks like going beyond the law and obligation to image the loving kindness of God. Well, Compassion Sunday is all about that. It's, are you obligated to pick up a compassion child on the way out? No. Are you obligated by some law to give out of your abundance? No, I don't, I don't think so, actually. But we have the opportunity to be image bearers of God and his redemption in our life. And through that, that go way beyond. Yesterday, as we were FaceTiming uh, Allison, our compassion child, the first time we ever FaceTimed with her. Uh, you know, you walk out on the, on the deck and uh, Annie's on a FaceTime with her. And I can't speak Spanish, so I'm having to have Annie translate for me. And um, you can just see, as soon as we walk up, look on the screen, and there she is with tears in her eyes. And I thought, you know, it may not seem significant. I, honestly, it's, 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 it would be awful to even think that anything we did was significant. $35 for a month that we set up on auto pay, spent on coast for the, sure, maybe some letters from time to time. I can't tell you how often we just forgot about her months and months and months at a time while the money was going out. And like Nothing about what we did felt significant, yet here we could see how God took our barely act of faith and delivered abundant provision to one individual's life, one person's life. He's a personal God. He cares about your situation, your circumstance. He cared about Allison, and somehow in his favor and grace, she's been provided for. So that's the opportunity we have today to, in somebody's life and the way that we respond, not just to sponsoring a child, but to so many other ways. And, and, and I think the grace of God, as we close, is most captured in the end of the passage in the conversation with Naomi. Because I want, you to, I want you to imagine that today, rather than celebrating that we're like faithful and strong Ruth, I want you to think about how kind God is to someone who barely had any faith left at all. You know, Naomi, she's at home. She doesn't go out of the field. We don't even know why she doesn't go out of the field. Maybe she's aged. Maybe she just doesn't have any hope. Doesn't feel like she has hope left. But there she is. They've come back to God. <laughs> They've returned home. And they said, we're going to just trust ourselves to what he's going to do. She doesn't go out in the field. She doesn't work. She doesn't do anything. But at the end of the day, she experiences the abundant provision of God through the Redeemer that he's provided. She's eating grain at the table and being told that she's going to be cared for smallest amount of faith like what does it say about how powerful God's love and kindness is that he pours out that kind of blessing on people of weak faith well today we can know just bring your weak faith to the Lord whatever it is that you're right now it may be questions it may be cynicism you may be not sure how, what it's like to walk with him but I can tell you if you'll bring your weak faith to the Lord just like Naomi God will pour out his blessing over it and you'll come to know the God of loving kindness it's an amazing amazing hope and promise as we see ourselves in Naomi and know that God is ready to pour out his love on us. Let's bow our heads as we prepare for the Lord's table. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up as we finish our time together.
Maybe you're here today and you would recognize that you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And today you sense he's calling you to take a first step of faith. Say, my faith is weak. Not sure if there really is hope in this God. Today he's inviting you to trust him. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, and you say that's you. You know that although you've walked away from God, that he's inviting you to take a step of faith today. I'm not going to call you up or ask you to come up in front of people, but I'd like to be able to pray for you and follow up and just say, you know, I've never trusted Christ, and today I want to know him. I want to know God. Just slip your hand up where you're at. I want to be able to pray for you. Nobody's looking around. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. You say, that's me. I, need, I needed to hear this today. I want to trust in this God. Some of you have been in a different season. You know you're Christian. And you've been walking by faith. And you're in a season of waiting to really see God's provision. And maybe you've grown bitter like Naomi. But today you needed to be reminded that Faith awaits on the Lord. And Jesus knows what it's like to have to wait. He would have asked the Father to let the cup pass from him. But he awaited God's blessing even as he died on the cross for us. Today God's calling you to just wait in faithfulness. And you just say, I need help to trust him. And you're on the live stream. Right now, just call out to him. Ask him to strengthen your faith. To remind you that his abundant loving kindness is present. It's for you, that he's with you. Father, I pray that as we prepare to sing and to close and respond, that you would give grace our hearts that you would grant us by your spirit to be filled with faith in Jesus name.